1986, I was in the first grade. I had three best friends, uh, Amy, Travis, and Stephen. And one Sunday, they came over to my house to play with me. And Amy and Stephen left. And while we were waiting for Travis's mom to come, play, uh, come pick him up, uh, Travis and I got out some of my sports cards, my trading cards. I used to love these trading cards. Some of you had those. I loved my, my basketball and football and baseball cards. I especially loved my Laker and my Dodger and my 49er cards. And I had these, these, these cards and we were looking at them and going through them. And then eventually Travis's mom came and picked him up. Well, that night I went to look at my cards again because this is something I would do all the time. I would look at the back of those cards, memorize stats. You know, some kids were, 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 were learning important things. I was learning the backs of sports cars, cards. And I, and I noticed that when I opened up my, 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 my container that I kept these cards in, that a great number of my cards were missing, including my absolute favorite card, my 1985 Topps. Joe Montana. And for those of you that may not be familiar with sports, Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football, four-time Super Bowl champion for the, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. All apologies to Tom Brady. Have him try to play when you could hold the receivers. I mean, uh, and yet still Montana was, was, was my favorite. But I had these cards, and I noticed that they were missing, and I suddenly deduced that the only way that they could be missing was that Travis had stolen them, had taken these cards. And I was infuriated. And so I went out to my parents and I told them what had happened. I told them about this great travesty that I was missing all these cards and that I thought that Travis had stolen my cards. Their response to that news was shocking. They weren't outraged. We didn't jump in our car to drive to Travis's house and to demand to do a search of his premises. They didn't even call the police for my 1985 Topps Joe Montana. Here's what they told me. Chad, remember what Travis is going through. His parents were getting divorced at the time. He said, remember what Travis is going through. And sometimes kids do some things that aren't the best. But maybe you don't make a big deal about it. Maybe you go to school tomorrow and you just be good to him. Just be kind to him. They said, remember how long you've been friends and be good to him. From their answer, I concluded that they were part of this conspiracy to take my cards. <laughs> well, I went to school the next day and the day after that. I was having a hard time because I knew that Travis had taken my cards. And in fact, a few days later, it was confirmed that he had taken my cards. You see, he brought this thing, this, this uh, container that he kept his cards in to school to show everybody his new cards that he had gotten. And he was showing them around and I was recognizing some of these cards. Now, of course, anyone can buy these cards. But then I saw the 1985 Topps Joe Montana card and I knew that he had stolen my cards. And the reason I knew that is because the first day I got my Topps Joe Montana card, I kept pulling it in and out of the box, in and out of the box. And my dad said, you need to be careful with that. Take care of it. And I'd pull it in and out of the box. I kept wanting to look at it. He's gonna, you're going to hurt it. You're going to hurt it. And the very first day I got my Topps Joe Montana 1985 card, 
when I was putting it back one of the times, I closed the box and I closed the box on the card and creased it right down the middle. And there were Travis's brand new cards with a Topps Joe Montana card creased right down the middle. And I wanted to let him have it. And yet I remembered my parents' words. Remember what people are going through and be good to him. Open your Bibles with us to the book of Matthew chapter 5, as Evelyn read. But we're going to begin at the end of the Beatitudes. And at the end of the Beatitudes, in, in verses 10, in verse 10 and verse 11, the Bible tells us something. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and verse 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, the Bible tells us. These two verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, clearly indicate, as do many other places in the Bible, that Jesus told us, in this world you will have what? Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. I know you know it better than that. Come on. Uh, Jesus clearly indicates that we will receive persecution in this world, that we will be uh, 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 reviled, that we, things will be said about us falsely, that we will be under the struggles that this world is, this evil, wicked world. But Jesus tells us something else. Not only does he tell us to rejoice in this, but, but he tells us, he doesn't tell us that we can get defensive or get even or speak up in defense for ourselves. In fact, the immediate thing after Jesus finishes the Beatitudes, in which he finishes with, you'll be persecuted, you'll be persecuted, this is a reality. The very next thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are a light, the light of the world. And in that context, in that day, what both, when people would hear both of those metaphors, what they would immediately realize Jesus is saying to them is that you are to be a positive influence within this world. They're persecuting you. They'll revile you. They're gonna utter false things against you. You are the salt, you are the light. You are to be good. Jesus tells Christians they will be persecuted and then he tells us who we are. We are salt and we are light. He says your retaliation to the persecution, this is what he's saying. He's saying your retaliation to the persecution, to them reviling, to them uttering all kinds of falsehoods against you, your retaliation is to do good for them. Remember, who they are, and do good for them. You see, the earth and those who are, who are, who are living the, the ways of the earth, the ways of the principles of the earth, can't help but be what they are. The earth is what it is, which is why it needs salt. To understand this better, we have to understand the greatest value of salt in the days of Jesus. I'll be honest with you, and, and for some of you, probably you can relate to this. Uh, salt, our greatest value and appreciation for salt is, is within cooking and within, 
you know, drawing out the taste. I remember when my salt addiction started. It was when I was, went to Southern Adventist University, and you know I love Southern, and I, I brag on Southern, and I want to support and affirm everything about Southern, except for their cafeteria. <laughs> if we could trade cafeterias with Andrews University, I would be more than happy to, to do that. But, and no offense to anybody that works in the Southern cafeteria, I'm sure that it's all very healthy, and, and God bless you for that. But, but I remember eating at the Southern cafeteria, and it became the thing that like, before I'd even take a bite, I would pick up the salt and put it on the food. I just saw a couple of people that have gone to Southern, obviously they're nodding. They understand what I'm saying. And I would take the salt and I'd, I'd put it on my food. I still, to this day, I, I go into for the salt and Christina says, you haven't even tasted it yet. How do you know it needs salt? She goes, All right, well, it's just this habit I developed there from taking that salt, putting that salt on the food. And probably for most of us, that's what we think of salt mostly for. But, but in the days of Jesus, truly the greatest value actually of salt was as a preservative, was as a preservative. It was put on things, on food, on meat, to prevent decay and rotting. What we see in this first metaphor is that Jesus is declaring that the earth, due to its wickedness, it's a, it's a compare and contrast. The, the, the earth is, is one group, and Jesus says, you're the salt over here, and salt is a preservative. Salt, salt brings life to things. And, and, and Jesus is saying the earth over here is decaying and rotting, and you are to be the salt bringing life, uh, helping to preserve the good that is still out there. The good that is still out there. Jesus is declaring in this metaphor that the earth, due to its wickedness and evil, can't help but rot and decay. And that is why Christians are persecuted, as Jesus describes in the Beatitudes and other places in the Scripture. The earth is what it is, a world decaying under the wickedness of society. But our response isn't hatred or defensiveness or anger. And our response, by the way, isn't exclusivity. And our response isn't, uh, isn't uh, uh, isolationism. Our response is to recognize what the earth is and counter it by being good in this world. They may steal our tops, 1985 tops, Joe Montana card, but we are to respond to the immoral decay with goodness because Christians are salt. Christians are salt. Now, about this metaphor and the metaphor we'll look at uh, after this, the metaphor of light, what's interesting to me is Jesus in this, the Greek indicates this, Jesus isn't saying because you're a Christian, now go out and be salt or go out and be light. Jesus also isn't making a command that, that you be salt and light. Jesus isn't making a request that you be salt and light. The Greek indicates that Jesus is, is presuming that because you are a Christian, that's what you are, salt and light. That's who you are. Because you're a Christian, you are salt, you are light. So Jesus says the earth is decaying and because you are what you are, salt Go out, go out and counter that decay with your goodness. So how are we salt? Some people believe that we should fight the moral decay of this world by the vote at the ballot box. Some people put a lot of emphasis on fighting the moral decay of this world by, by going out and protesting and, and doing various things like this, our American rights that we have. 
Some people think that, 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 that the, the, the Supreme Court and who sits on the Supreme Court is going to protect this world from, and this earth from going into moral decay. The fact of the matter is, is, is the Bible clearly shows us that, that the world is going in that direction and nothing is going to stop it. It's decaying. But God calls us to be salt in this world. So how are we to be salt? How are we to help preserve things, at least some of the goodness that exists and bring some goodness to this world? The answer is found in how we are to be salt in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes implicitly speak of witness by describing someone that is different, counter-cultural to the earth, to the world. Someone that is this humble. We could use humility in our world, right? Somebody that, that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the righteousness of God. Someone who is a peacemaker and not, not pursuing war. Someone who is merciful. Someone who is pure in heart. A person like this is different than the world, and we understand this. That doesn't need much explanation. Turn on the news, watch anything, listen to anything. Don't actually go and watch anything and listen to anything. But, but if you do, you'll see that these types of characteristics, these characteristics in a person are counter to what the earth is about. But what the Beatitudes implicitly tell us, Jesus now explicitly tells us by declaring us as salt. Not you will be salt, not you should be salt, not I'm commanding you to be salt, you're a follower of me, I'm presuming you are salt. How does our differentness counter the decay of the world? How does our differentness counter the decay of the world? Some, some of the ways we know that, that maybe we are countering the decay of the world. Uh, if, if you are a Christian and you step into a group of friends that, is, that are having an inappropriate conversation and before you even speak a word, that conversation changes. You can know that your saltiness is already having an impact. If you work at a place, if you're a boss at, at, at some place and, and, and some of the coworkers are 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 talking about a way that they can undermine the competitor and they're looking at some things from ethical angles and one of the coworkers said, yeah, but our boss, she'll never go for that. She's not willing to take those types of steps to undermine someone else. That boss, she can know that, that her saltiness is already affecting the culture around her. By her being counterculture in her characteristics, she's changing things. By, by us being counterculture in our characteristics, we are already changing things. How is your saltiness affecting the world around you? Are the characteristics of the Beatitudes so lived out in your life that, that, that when you step into a situation, it changes because people already know that that's not who you are and that's not what you're about? But then Jesus expands on the first metaphor with his second metaphor. In verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And again, Jesus is setting up a contrast from believers and the world. So in other words, you have the world over here, and if you have the believers over here, and the believers are described as the light of the world, then the contrast would be that the world is what? Dark, right? If it light, what's the contrast between light and what? You can say it. Dark. Light and dark. And so Jesus is indicating the world is darkness. We're light over here. The world is darkness. Believers are distinctly light, and the world is distinctly darkness. Dark in truth. Dark in hope. Dark in understanding. Dark in love. 
The metaphor may also be hard for us to grasp unless we grew up in a very rural area, a place so dark like Mark described that, that, that when the stars and moon are hidden, a person can't even, can't even see their hand in front of their face. Imagine a traveler in Jesus' day going through the countryside between cities or between towns at night when there's all kinds of robbers and various things, and, and, and they're wondering, am I going to make it to that next town? That city on a hill, that, that little glimmer of light suddenly becomes hope that they may make it safely, that they may make it safely. It's, that light is good in their very dark world. On one of my many trips across the country, in fact, my most recent trip across the country from wherever I'm living back to California and then back again, I was bringing my trailer, and some of you may remember this, I was bringing my trailer from California back here to Maryland. And I was in Arizona, and this car pulls up alongside of me, and this guy starts waving at me and waving at me. And so I wave back, and then he... And, and I'm thinking, am I swerving? Because he keeps waving at me. He's looking kind of distressed. I thought, did I cut him off? Is he mad at me? And he starts pointing back. And so I look back and I see this, this smoke coming out of the back of my trailer. And so I find an exit and I pull off and, and I park the trailer and I get out and I walk back to the trailer and I notice that my, that my will is on fire. It's all starting to melt and it's not doing very well. So I immediately call AAA, and AAA sends a guy out to me, and the guy comes out to me, and I give him my information, and he tells me he can't help me. And he says, you have the Mid-Atlantic AAA, and this is Arizona, so sorry, I can't. He's like, but there's a town about three, you know, about 10 miles up that you can get to. And I said, okay, and, and uh, he goes, be careful, your axles melt and ruined and everything else, so... So I'm there on the side of this road. I'm sitting at this exit, and it was just dusk right before this happened. And, and now the sun has gone down, and it's dark, and, and no one has gotten off that exit. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Okay, well, I'm going to try to make it to Holbrook, Arizona. Now, Holbrook, Arizona is a little nothing place if you've ever been there before. I mean, it's, it's, it's really quite small. We have a, a wonderful uh, academy for the Native Americans there, but... But, uh, but it's a very, very small place. So I get in back on my, in my, in my car and we, I pull the car and the trailer onto the, onto the freeway and I'm going very slow knowing that when these bearings heat up, I may be in trouble again. And sure enough, they start to heat up and I start to see smoke in the, in the lights coming out behind the trailer. And then I start to see little flashes of fire coming out. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I literally said, Jesus helped me to get to Holbrook because I don't want to be stopped on the side of the road in the middle of the desert of Arizona. I mean, I'm a wimp. I'm a city kid. I grew up in cities and, and put me in the middle of LA at, at night and I'll feel more comfortable than I will in the middle of a forest at night. I mean, it's just who I am. I don't even like walking my trash cab. Uh, cans to the curb at night. I mean, I'm, I'm a wimp. So I didn't want, not want to be stuck in Arizona at, at night. And, and just as we're driving along and the smoke's coming out and there's little flashes of, of light from the flicker of flames, I crest this hill and I see this glow. Now it's Holbrook, so it's not the glow like we get off of DC or somewhere. I mean, it's a little glow, but it was enough to give me hope. That's how dark this world is. You you by yourself even. But collectively, think of, think of the hope that we could give to people by being lights in this world, by being witnesses in this world. 
It's amazing what we could do. Now, again, we don't be light. We're, we, we don't, we're not the best lights we can be by, by denouncing the darkness. You're not a great light by just denouncing the darkness. You're not a great light by just demonizing the darkness. You're not a great light by just pointing out to the darkness how much they don't know and how much we do know. Verse 16 tells us in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, your, your goodness, and they may give glory to the Father in heaven. Jesus says, your salt, your character is different, and this brings good into this decaying world. Your light, and you're different because your works are different. You're, you're doing good things in this decaying or in this dark world. Ellen White wrote this, and I just love this, this quote from Ministry of Healing, pages 469 and 470. She says, there is an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words in the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. In other words, a Christian that's living by the, the characteristics of the Beatitudes. What a man is has more influence than what he says. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a, and some of you know this, is a loving and a lovable Christian. In other words, someone that is good to people, good to those in darkness, good to those dealing with the decay of this world. I don't know if you're aware of this, but today has been declared by the North American Division as a day of compassion and hope, a day of compassion and hope. It is a day that they're asking all Adventists in North America to go out and to be basically salt and light, to do good in their world, in their, in their communities. Now, y'all, can we admit something? Can we admit something? The reason institutions like the North American Division, the reason institutions like the North American Division have to create and have days like days of compassion and hope is because we aren't being salt and light. If we were all being salt and light, as Jesus presumes that we are as believers and followers of him, no one would have to create that day. They're, they're, they don't sit around and say, well, you know, everyone's already doing this, so let's make a day in which everyone will already do this. No, they look at it and they say, you know what? We're not doing a good job of being salt and light. We're not doing a good job of being compassionate and bringing hope and good, doing good deeds. So they say, we need to come up with something to encourage our people to do this. The reason why things like this are created is because there is a problem. I'm going to admit something that's not in my notes, but I admitted it in first service and I told them I wasn't going to tell you in second service, but, but you know, I don't want you to feel left out. So I'm going to share it with you. I'm, I'm on Weight Watchers. Now, I'm on Weight Watchers because uh, our new Adventist healthcare thing says that they'll pay for the insurance, or they'll pay for Weight Watchers for you if you get a note from your doctor. And I was recently at my doctor, and my doctor said, I'm glad you're running because I'm running now. I ran the New York Marathon, you know, back in the fall, and I just ran the Cherry Blossom 10-miler uh, a couple weekends ago. And he said, I'm glad you're running, Chad, but remember this, you can always out-eat your exercise, you can always out-eat your exercise. And, and he told me, and pastor, you're out-eating your exercise. Uh, because, for one, your weight's not dropping as much as you're running. And also, the other thing is, he says your cholesterol is dangerously high. Dangerously high. 
And I won't tell you what it is. Let's just pray for your pastor. It's dangerously high. And, uh, and Christina saw my numbers and she said, you got to do something. You know, I want you around and not just for till the boys get out of school. I actually want to keep you longer than that. So praise God for that, right? I was affirmed as a husband in the process of don't die. So, so I go to my first Weight Watchers meeting several weeks ago and, and I'm the only guy there and I'm, and, uh, women are obviously more humble than us men. Come on, let's work on being salt. Uh, and, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm one of two people under the age of probably 60, 50 something. And we're sitting there and I'm at, I'm at Weight Watchers and, uh, and it was very good, but I was like, you know, researching about this Weight Watchers thing. Guess what? Weight Watchers was started by a lady that was having a hard time controlling her weight. Go figure. And she gathered a bunch of her friends together that also were struggling with weight so that they could be a support to one another. And then they came up with this idea that why don't we start measuring and looking at how much we're eating and what we're eating and when we're eating it and all this and see what we can do. And that's how Weight Watchers started. Weight Watchers wasn't started by some people that the doctor said, you are the, the epitome of health. It was started by someone that was struggling. The reason why we have to have days of hope and compassion is because we're struggling. Jesus tells us that it's a possibility. He says, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. He says, who lights a, who lights a lamp and, and puts it under a basket? The questions he's asking is it makes no sense for someone to say they're a Christian and not be salt and light. In other words, not to bring goodness to the world in which they live. Goodness to the world in which they live. So, this world is wicked. It's decaying. It's dark. This world is going to persecute us. People are going to revile us and say all kinds of wicked things about us and accuse us unjustly. And Jesus says, that's because that's the way the world is. The world is going to steal your Joe Montana tops football card. And here's what I want you to do. Go and be good to them. Be salt, be light. Not because I'm commanding you, but because you signed up for this and that's who you are. That's who you are. So I want us to leave today and I want you to ponder two questions. Maybe you want to write these down even, these questions and take them home with you or remember them at least in your brain. Write them on a piece of paper or something. Here's the first question. Does my character challenge the decay of this world? In other words, is my character so good that there is a difference when I walk into a room, when I interact in my workplace? Does my character challenge the decay of this world? And the second one is this. Do my good works bring light of hope to people in darkness? Do my good works bring light of hope to people in darkness? Not to other people in the light also. That's good. We should, we should love and care for us. But people that are different than you. Are you doing good for people that are different than you? If the answer is no to either of those questions, will you go home and do this for me? If the answer is no to either of those questions, will you go home and write down Three things you're going to do this week, maybe even starting today, to change this reality. 
You can, of course, ignore this and go home and do nothing. Gary Parks could have decided he was going to go home and do nothing. I teach at the school. I go home. That's my job. But he said, I'm going to help start a movement. And I'm here today because he decided to be salt and light. And I'm married to a beautiful girl because he decided to be salt and light. So you can go home and you can do nothing. Or we can go home and say, I am a follower of Jesus. I will be salt and life. light. I can tell you that life is so much better when we are being salt and light. And I hope, by the grace of God, that we will work so hard that no institution has to create a day in which we have to go out and be told to bring hope and compassion to the world. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for loving us and calling us to be followers of you. Guide and direct us in your truth, in your ways. Make us salt and light in this world, Lord. Not as a command, but because that is what we are as Christians. In your name, amen.